I'm so glad you are with us. Uh, I am Petey. If we have not met yet, would love to meet you after the service. Please say hello. And uh, this morning, I'm so excited that we are going to be talking about, um, we are going to be talking about what we believe God wants for us as a church, but, but more so uh, what, God, what we believe God wants for each and every one of you. And whether you've been here for decades or this is your first time with us, I, I want to proclaim to you what I think God is calling us to in this season as his followers. And I'm so excited for that. Um, but last weekend, last weekend was incredibly exciting. And, uh, and it wasn't exciting because it was my wife's birthday, though it was. Um, it wasn't exciting because my kids were getting ready to go back to school, though they were. It wasn't exciting because we went to the fair, though we did. It was exciting because college football uh, was back. Um, yeah, big, big day, big day. Uh, and so I spent the day, we went to the fair in the morning, we came back. I spent the afternoon just sitting in front of the couch, um, getting so ready, so fired up for my alma mater down in Mississippi was playing in the evening. And so was getting ready. Their game came on. It was a home game. Fans were just fired up and into it. it so exciting. The game started. They scored a touchdown right away. I was like, this is amazing. It's going to be a great season. And then five minutes into the game, the announcers say, uh, lightning has just been uh, sighted within five miles of the stadium, and therefore all the players are going to go to the locker room and take a weather delay. how I felt. Like, okay, great. Uh, so don't, don't you worry. I did feel the weather delay with watching other games that were on at the same time. Um, but two and a half hours later, um, I got to finish watching uh, the Bulldogs play and win that night. And so, uh, but what I realized was, you know, they were, they were delayed. They were waiting to get on with the game. And I, and I do feel like we've experienced a significant amount of delays over the last couple of years. Delays in our world, but also delays in our personal lives, uh, delays maybe in our faith and the way we practice our faith, delays uh, and disruptions in our church. We face significant delays, and sometimes it does feel like we've been like sitting around waiting and asking, like, when, when does the game restart? When do we get back into the game. And I think what we know is that, uh, like, imagine these students who, they were so fired up, they played, they got, they got warmed up, they played a few minutes, they had to go to the locker room for two and a half hours, right? So it's time to go play again. But some of them might need their muscles stretched out, they might have gotten a little tight in the locker room, they might need to get their bodies ready to go back on the field. Some of them might need to get re-energized, right? Maybe they've lost some energy and some passion over two and a half hours of sitting in the locker room. Maybe they need to get their energy back. And some of them might just need to get refocused on the game plan. You know, what, what were we doing? What was the next play? What, were, what was the situation we were in? And you got refocused on the game plan. And I think that's where we find ourselves um, as, as a church at CPC, but also just uh, Christians in our time, is that we might need to be re-energized to have, make sure that we have the game plan held up in front of us, refocused on to mission. And, and I think there's no better way to talk about that uh, today, to kick us off, to start, than to talk about this, that when the gospel matters to us, when the gospel is important to us, when it's central to us, it moves us. We move beyond ourselves into life with Jesus. See, the thing that I want you to know is that we are gonna be a gospel church. We're gonna be a gospel-focused, gospel-centered church that, that we believe that Jesus meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. 
and he moves us deeper and deeper into life with him. And we want to talk about that and hold that up in front of you over and over and over. This is the thing that we cannot miss on as a church. And so today I want to unpack that a little for you. And, and starting with unpacking the simple question, what do we mean by the gospel? So the gospel is a word that is uh, really churchy sometimes for people. You might hear it a lot and you might think that it gets used to mean just about anything and everything. But if we've learned anything uh, from that great kids movie, The Incredibles, is that when something means everything, it means nothing. When everything's incredible, nothing's incredible, right? When something means everything, it means nothing. But, but take heart, the gospel does have a very specific meaning. In fact, the word the gospel in the Bible literally means good news, and the, the Greek word uh, evangelion or euangelion, it's, it's a word that means good news. So every time you see good news in the Bible, you see gospel. Every time you see gospel, you should see good news. Uh, it's where we get words like uh, evangelize or evangelical or evangelical. It's, it's the word good news, the gospel. So two books, uh, as an aside, two books I want to recommend if you're interested in reading more. One is by Scott McKnight. It's called The King Jesus Gospel. The other is Simply Good News by N.T. Wright, two short, accessible, easy to read books that walk through the gospel. Um, and, and I give you those references because in McKnight's book, he talks about a professor at Wheaton uh, College in Chicago named uh, Robert Weber. And, and Weber was a famous uh, New Testament scholar. And people would say, Dr. Weber, could you explain the gospel to me? And he would say, of course. Do you have an hour? And I'm not going to take an hour, but he, 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 he said that to frame that it's, it's actually, it's such good news that it's a big story that we're stepping into, that there's a lot going on, that to any version of the gospel that's just the back of a napkin doesn't do justice to just how important the good news is. And so what I'm going to do over the next few minutes is I'm going to look at a lot of different Bible verses and I want to use those verses to help make a case for what the gospel really is. And so the same way that if you were going to make a case that Serena Williams was the greatest tennis player of all time, you would use a lot of stats. You wouldn't just say she won this one tournament. You'd use lots of stats. I want to use lots of verses to show a picture of what the gospel is in Scripture. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Um, I'm going to go fast so you can jot these down. Uh, but Mark chapter 1, verse 14 Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the good news, the gospel. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So again, good news, gospel. This is actually the very first public message that Jesus gives in the Bible. It's the first public message he gives, and it's the simple message that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, which means to turn around, to change your ways, and believe the good news. So Jesus was Jewish, speaking to a Jewish audience who knew the Jewish scriptures. So the Old Testament Bible, the story of God's work in the Israelite history, and they had this belief that one day God would send a new king who would establish his reign and it would be good news for both Israel and for the world. Jesus is saying that time that was predicted is now here. It's come near. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. 
This is the Apostle Paul. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is a word for Peter. He appeared to Peter and then to the 12, the 12 disciples in the gospel. So scholars and theologians would say this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the earliest summations of the gospel. And there's a phrase there that might just kind of past your, past your mind, but you should, you should hear it. It says, according to the scriptures, not once, but twice. Why? According to the Old Testament story, according to the Old Testament promises that this is good news, that these promises are made real in what? In Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The good news is coming true. Romans chapter one Romans, one of the most famous books in the Bible, starts with these very words. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel, the good news. He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures in the Old Testament regarding his son, Jesus, who asked who his earthly life was a descendant of David, David, who was the king, a new king has come. And through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by what? His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our rightful Lord and king. That Jesus fulfills the promise of the Old Testament. The good news is that he is our rightful Lord and king. Why? Because of his death and resurrection. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. A lot shorter. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from who? David the king. This is my gospel. I could go on and on and on and on. Are you catching the theme that all these passages are about something wonderful that is now possible because of Jesus and Jesus alone? In fact, Scott McKnight says it this way. Let this be said over and over. The apostolic gospel, meaning the gospel that the early Christians preached, was framed in such a way that the story was centered on and revolved around Jesus. And I know that doesn't sound revolutionary, but that's what we have to remind ourselves, that the gospel is about Jesus. So again, gospel can be this really churchy word that for some people can carry a lot of baggage. In fact, for some people, they hear gospel and they think it's a set of doctrinal statements. Or they hear gospel and they think it's sort of this magic catch-all word to mean any sort of spiritual thing people want it to mean. Or for some, it's even attached to political agendas, unfortunately. But hear the words of Anglican Bishop N.T. Wright. It's a little long, so hang in there with me. He says this, In many churches... The good news has subtly changed into good advice. Here's how to live, they say. Here's how to pray. Here are techniques for helping you become a better Christian, a better person, a better wife or husband. And in particular, here's how to make sure you're on the right track for what happens after death. Take this advice. Say this prayer and you'll be saved. You won't go to hell. You'll go to heaven. Here's how to do it. This is advice, not news. The good news was not a piece of advice, however good. It was about something that had happened, 
about something that would happen as a result and about the new moment between those two, the moment in which people were in fact living, whether they realized it or not. The gospel is news. It's an announcement about something that has happened and is happening in Jesus Christ. Think about a headline splashed across the front of a newspaper, an announcement. Or think about uh, when, when a, a messenger would ride into town and play a trumpet and say, hear ye, hear ye, the good news, hear the good news. The best news of all is about Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing. The gospel is good news about what Jesus does for us that changes everything. It changes everything for the world, but it starts with me. And it starts with each and every one of you. The good news changes everything for us. I want us to look up one more verse together. If you would do me the favor of looking it up with me. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Use your Bible. uh, Use your phone. Look it up. Galatians 2, 20. Uh, If you grab a pew Bible, it's on page 1659. Hopefully that expedites it for you a little bit. But I want everyone to look it up. This is sort of active participation. I know some of you don't like to be told what to do. (sighs) Don't point any fingers. Uh, I want us to read this together. So Galatians 2.20, I'll give you another second to find it. All right, join me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what we just did? We just proclaimed the gospel out loud together as a community. Isn't it beautiful? I mean, isn't what God has done for us amazing? Listen to, what, listen to the language. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live by what? By faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who did what? He loved me so much that he demonstrated that love by giving his life for me. They believed that the gospel moved them beyond themselves into a new life with God, and it changed everything. The gospel moves us beyond ourselves and into places of discomfort where we are no longer the center of our lives. It displaces us and it fills our life. It puts Jesus, his death and his resurrection at the center of our lives and asks us to depend on him rather than to depend on ourselves. When the gospel matters to us, it moves us beyond ourselves into life with Jesus. And I think many of us desire transformation But we don't want the discomfort of being displaced because we're used to being at the center of our stories. And I think it's true for churches too, by the way. I think churches, they want growth. They want people to come to know Jesus. They just don't want to change. They don't want to be discomforted by being displaced. Right? But the gospel moves us beyond ourselves. We cannot hold on to the good news of what Christ has done for us when we have a death grip on what we can do for ourselves and our preferences and our comfort. So I need to be reminded over and over and over what Christ has done for me. You need to be reminded over and over and over again that nothing you can depend on will measure up to what Jesus has done for you. 
We need to be reminded of it every single day. So my question for you this morning is what is your move? What's your move? So we want to help you. I want to help you move beyond yourself to have the gospel at the center of your life, to give you a few ideas so that you're moved into the abundant, joyful life of the kingdom of God. Just a few ideas. The first is this. I want you to tell yourself the gospel every single day to remind yourself of the truth. And we're gonna help you do it this week. So on the screen, there's a slide. You can text CPC Move to that number. And every morning this week at 8 a.m., you'll get a text of just a Bible verse. And it'll tell you the good news. And read it, read it to yourself, read it out loud. Tell yourself the good news. If, if, if texting and getting a text message isn't for you, then on your way out, there'll be a little card uh, that looks like this. You can grab it, has the verses on it. Um, but man, I... You know, there are days where I rush into my day and I'm thinking about anything but the gospel. And I know that's probably true for many of us. So what would it look like to instead to rush into our days first being reminded and being grounded in who we are because of what Christ has done for us? The second is, I want you to be in an ongoing relationship with others who will remind you of the gospel. So some of you already have that, whether it's a small group or a little a group of friends or a Sunday community, a Bible study. But uh, if you don't have that, this fall we're launch, launching lots of things. We would love to get you connected to a small group or a Sunday community or a Bible study or just a group of people who will encourage you and support you as you walk in your faith. I know I need people to remind me of who I am because of what Christ has done for me. People to pull me from the darkness that I could find myself if I were isolated and alone. And the third thing is, and I think this is really important, it's really simple. I wanna give you one question that at the end of every day that you would ask yourself. One question. End of the day, before you go to bed, ask yourself this question. Where did I depend on Christ today and where did I live apart from him? Just a reflection question back on your day. In fact, I would encourage you, pull out your phone right now, set a reminder in the evening. Just go ahead and grab your phones, do it. Every week of this series, we'll give you a different question. The end of the series, we'll have four questions that we think will be good, sort of a discipleship tool for us to reflect on how we are doing at keeping Jesus at the center of our lives. Our big audacious goal, if you want to call it that, is to be a gospel-centered church. Our big audacious goal is to be a church that takes the gospel so seriously that we believe it changes everything. A few weeks ago, we were uh, on vacation as a family. So middle of August, we went to the beach. Uh, the, our family of four went to the Gulf Coast and spent just a few days um, enjoying just a relaxing time there. And uh, the Gulf Coast is a place that I went to a ton growing up uh, on vacation and our kids haven't been in a long time. And so we just thought it'd be fun for them as teenagers to take them and let them experience so much of what we experienced as teenagers going to the beach every summer. And so we get there uh, and the first day, there's a, you guys probably know this, but there, you know, there are flags that tell you about the situation with undertow, like what the current's doing. And it's like a green flag or a blue flag or a yellow or red or double red uh, to let you know how strong the undertow is. And so we get there and the flag was red. And I've not been to the beach in years. And so I thought, I, red seems bad, um, but I can't remember. Do we swim on red? I can't. But we get there and like everyone's in the water. So it's like, well, I guess we do. 
You know, like if everyone's doing it, you might as well get in the water. And so, you know, we get there, we get these little like donut floats and uh, go out into the water, you know, 40, 50 yards offshore. And I'm just sitting there in a float. And what you expect is what? You expect that the waves come along and the waves are going to take you back to shore. But that didn't happen. I'm sitting there floating 50 yards from shore and the waves are coming and I'm sitting in place. I'm not moving. I'm not going out, thankfully, but I'm not going in. And so it tells you the undertow was strong. The undertow was strong. Now, I think for a long time, churches, including CPC, have been able to expect that the world is going to behave predictively that we're just going to keep doing what we do, what we do well, we're going to do our programs, we're going to run church services, and we'll go the right direction, that we'll just, we'll get carried along in the right direction. But I don't think we're living in that moment anymore. I don't think we're living in a moment where we can just be the same old people, the same old church, and expect different results. Because I think the pull of the culture is so strong, and we are fighting against the tide. And we find ourselves needing something to move us beyond stuck. And I'll be honest, what what we've seen in the church over the last few years is that we are way more discipled by social media and by cable news and by the anger of our political moment than we are by the gospel. And so I don't think there's anything more urgent for us to do as a church than to remind you of the good news. And that's my commitment to you, that we will hold the gospel up in front of you week in, week out, in kids' ministry, in student ministry, in adult programming. We will talk about the gospel over and over because it is the thing that will bring us back into the life of Christ. It will move us beyond ourselves because we can find ourselves getting stuck on the good stuff that we can do, whether it's for ourselves or for our church. What does it look like for us to let God move us? When the gospel matters to us, we move beyond ourselves into the life of Christ. There is no other organization in this world that wants to tell you what Christ has done for you. Other organizations may tell you what you should be doing, what you could do for yourself. There's only one organization that can tell you what Christ has done for you, and that is the church. That is our job. If we miss on that, we miss everything. This is who we are because of what Christ has done for us. I opened this talk uh, talking about what it looks like for us to get back on mission. And I love this quote from New Testament theologian Kevin Van Hooser, who says, when the, who says sorry, that the church exists to be a living exhibit of the reality of the gospel. That is our mission, to be a living exhibit of the reality of the gospel. We cannot do that unless we're taking the gospel seriously, unless it matters to us, unless it's central to who we are every single day. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and lead us in our closing song, but But again, I want to remind you, as we get into this series, as we cover this for the next four weeks, the thing I promise to do, the thing we promise as your leaders of this church over and over is we're going to hold up in front of you what Christ has done for you and encourage you that it matters, that it changes everything. 
that if we take it seriously, it'll lead us beyond any life that we could get to on our own and into a more abundant, beautiful, wonderful, gracious, loving life with Christ. Jesus has given everything for us. Let's treat it like it's everything. Let's make it central. Amen.